You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation, and welcome to your daily Miami Heat podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the only podcast that breaks down every game, news item, rumor, and more. Thank you for subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or on Himalaya. My name is David Ramil. Miami traveled to Cleveland on Thursday for an unusually early game that started at 6 p.m. Eastern, which is why I didn't tweet as much during the game, because one-year-olds don't care about early start times. But just like they did in their recent win over Detroit, they built a big lead early on, starting off the game with a 9-0 run. Miami assisted on nine of their first 11 made field goals, and it looked like it was going to be a blowout for the Heat. But the Cavs, who have been surprisingly good this season and surpassing all expectations for a team that they're supposedly rebuilding, cut the lead down to five early in the second quarter. But Miami's offense was really sharp in the first half, scoring 68 points and holding Cleveland to a long-scoring drought. The Cavaliers had scored just 36 points with 7 minutes and 37 seconds left in the second quarter and scored just 8 points for the rest of the half. And Miami held on to what seemed like a comfortable 20-point lead going into the third quarter. But the Cavaliers hung in there, give them credit. And although Miami had eventually pushed their lead to 27 points, Cleveland kept chipping away at it, and Miami went through their own scoring drought in the fourth quarter, scoring just six points for the first seven minutes of the period. The Cavs cut the lead to 10 and looked to have momentum going forward, just like in the Detroit win. But Miami made some key plays on offense and tightened their defense and came away with a 108-97 win to improve to 8-3 on the year, tied for the second-best record in the Eastern Conference with Toronto and just a game and a half back of the Boston Celtics. The best player of the game, clearly Kendrick Nunn. He got 23 points to lead all scores, knocking down 10 of 16 shots, including 3 of 6 from the perimeter, and he just looked really aggressive on offense. This is a much better version of Kendrick than what we had seen in the most recent games. He had kind of tapered his scoring a little bit. He struggled with his shot for a few games, then kind of looked like he was trying to be more effective and efficient than anything else. But tonight against Cleveland, he was very aggressive, going to the basket early, and then peppering that with some nice perimeter shots, and he just looked like he had his offense really dialed up, and, and he had a really, really solid game as a score. Fantastic showing from Kendrick, and he, we needed all 23 of those points because, again, Miami's lead was cut down significantly. If not for Kendrick's big scoring burst, Miami might have lost this game against, a, again, a very surprising Cavaliers team that had a lot of grit and intensity for the fourth quarter in particular. Jimmy Butler wasn't as aggressive as a scorer, but he finished with 14 points and 7 of 11 shooting, and more surprisingly, he did not attempt a single free throw. He's our leading free throw shooter, and the Cavs, who actually lead the league in least free throws allowed by their opponents, didn't send Jimmy to the line once. Miami only shot a total of 11 free throws, none of which from Jimmy, so that was pretty surprising. But he, again, continued to be an all-around player. Uh, he finished with those 14 points. He also chipped in six assists and three steals, continuing his incredible defense, just finding ways to make winning plays. And and I know those that's kind of a vague term or a cliched one, but that's really what Jimmy does best. It's his all-around game that's so impactful on defense, on offense. He's not as aggressive as a scorer. John Crotty mentioned in the broadcast when Jimmy backed down, I think it was Darius Garland, maybe it was Colin Sexton, either way, a smaller Cavaliers guard who was trying to limit Jimmy, and Jimmy just bowled his way through and got to the hoop. They've drawn a foul at that point, and it seems like he can do that at any point. A point that Karate made, something that I've said before myself, and that's probably the case. Jimmy has to kind of figure out when he can be aggressive as a scorer, and he's capable of doing it all the time. He just chooses not to. And I think we saw that again 
It's a comparison I've said before, a lot like LeBron, in that he doesn't always have to be the most aggressive scorer because what works with this team is being a playmaker, getting everybody else involved, getting their scoring uh, early and often, and then just doing enough to hold on to wins. It might not be the the most secure way of of coming out with a victory, but uh, it worked tonight against a, a Cavaliers team that maybe wasn't as dialed in as you would have expected them to be. Bam Adebayo was spectacular as the Swiss Army versatile player that we've kind of come to expect. He chipped in 16 points and a season-high 15 rebounds along with 5 assists. And he was excellent on defense. Very, very active around the basket. But he also did a great job limiting either Tristan Thompson or Kevin Lovell when he was guarding either player. I think he's leading the league in field goal percentage allowed. So that's something I'll have to look into. But he does a phenomenal job of just making things uncomfortable for everybody. Uh, he, he's just he's so good at moving his feet. He's so strong. If you notice him defensively, he always starts off, if he's being backed down like he was by Kevin Love, who was a very good low post scorer, Kevin tried to back him down, and Bam just had a really wide base. Like He spreads his feet so far apart. And he's able to move those feet very well so that he can adjust to any player. If, if he's guarding a quicker player, again, on the perimeter, we've seen him backpedal really well. He knows how to adjust very, very easily. And against low post scorers like Kevin Love, he does a really, really good job of just holding his own there, using his strength, and then, of course, his athleticism and explosion so that when an opponent gets off a shot, he's able to rise up and block it, impact it, get a face in there, get a hand in the face, Either way, just making them very uncomfortable and not getting giving away easy points. So it continues to be a strength of his. But on nights like tonight, we saw the all-around game, which is why he's one of the best, most versatile players in the game. I can't remember who it was. Somebody tweeted out something about whether or not Bam Adebayo may have taken the crown from Draymond Green as the most versatile big in the game. And that's, that's a lot. Uh, that's a... a, a Pretty high praise there, but we, we certainly see it on a, on, a, on a number of occasions there. It's, it's hard to exactly see if there's another big uh, that uses so much skill and has so many different tools available to them as Bam Adebayo, not just defensively, but offensively. And his playmaking at the center position is phenomenal. Um, and, and so he, he might just be up there, to be honest with you. it's I'm trying to think of others along the way maybe Nikola Jokic as a playmaker but not necessarily the defender not even close to the defender that Adebayo is I guess you'd have to give Giannis Antetokounmpo although it's hard to kind of see him as a big but in reality I mean at seven feet tall he really is but there aren't many others that are as versatile Draymond clearly still one of the most versatile capable players but just with a very bad supporting cast because Steph Curry's out and Klay Thompson's out and with no Kevin Durant obviously his numbers aren't going to be the same and he's been in and out of the lineup due to injury but either way, Adebayo just continuing his fantastic season and clearly worthy of some most improved player consideration. Goran Dragic, who's on many people's list for a six-man-of-the-year candidacy, was listed as questionable earlier in the day due to illness, the same illness that apparently has been going around the team. But he eventually played 25 minutes against Cleveland, and his shooting was still off, though. And he went just 3 of 10 for the floor and finished with just 9 points. This is not the version of Gorn that we've seen recently. I don't think it was any kind of lingering knee issue or his health or anything like that, other than whatever illness was afflicting him. Um, he just he didn't seem to have it dialed in today. 3 of 10 is not the kind of shooting night that we've expected from Dragic this season. And so clearly he was struggling with a shot. He was still able to contribute. 9 points isn't bad, but it's not nearly the kind of production that he needs in order to stay in that 6-man-of-the-year race. He's currently the 4th leading scorer in the NBA coming off the bench. Lou Williams still leads that category for the Los Angeles Clippers. 
and you wonder whether or not Goran can catch up to him. But at this point in time, uh, that's a concern for another day. Obviously, there's plenty of games left in this season. Goran just needs to get healthy and continue to his, his scoring outbursts. And if he can continue knocking down that three-point shot as easily as he has been, then he should be at least one of the top two to three vote-getters for that award. Tyler Hero chipped in 16 points. And we also had some solid contributions from Duncan Robinson with 11 points and Myers Leonard with 12 points, 7 rebounds, and 3 assists to help seal what was really an ugly win. Aside from none scoring and Bam's all-around impact, the story of the game was the long-scoring drought. Something I'll get into in the next segment, but again, a win is a win, and Miami did what they needed to in order to get just that in Cleveland. But for the second straight game, uh, Miami never trailed at any point, too. So it was clearly a defensive matchup for the Heat, something that's still their bread and butter. Uh, they're particularly good from the perimeter, and that was very evident as Cleveland just went 25% from three-point range, 8 of 32 overall. The Heat continues to allow two-point shots at a high rate. They're near the bottom of the league. They're actually allowing, let's see here, 55% of their shots, according to basketball reference, although that does not include the Cleveland game. Uh, they did... The Cavaliers did finish up 42% overall from the field, but again, just 25% from three-point range. And the Heat continues to allow three-point shots at the lowest rate in the league, around 27%. So clearly, Eric Spolstra has made a commitment using Jimmy, using Bam's versatile defense, something that wasn't possible last year because of Dwayne, because of Jay Rich, because of Hassan Whiteside in particular. Uh, That team just wasn't capable of moving around the perimeter as easily. If you notice... It starts off with Jimmy. Obviously, he makes things difficult for everybody. He fights over screens constantly. He's intercepting passes or, or putting a hand in there to make passing lanes a little bit more tighter. And and it's just been picked up by everybody. Everybody helps out. They hedge on defense. They do a phenomenal job of making three-point shooters very, very uncomfortable. And so Miami's defense has focused on the three-point shot. And considering where the league is, with as many teams shooting the three-point shot, uh, it's probably a strategy that works very, very well. Well, I mean, it has worked very well. We've seen that over the first 11 games of the season. And I wonder if other teams will eventually figure it out. But for now, it's starting to make a real impact because it's such a it's such a high percentage of most teams' offenses now. With three-point shots all around the league going up, uh, Miami's figured out a way to, to limit that offense. They'll give up the two-point shot because they don't have that clear rim protector like Hassan was. They weren't they before that they were funneling guys off the three-point shot uh, the three-point line towards the center of the basket there knowing that Hassan was going to be able to impact the, the the shot or block a shot. They don't have that rim protector now so it's just constantly helping on the perimeter keeping them from getting up a comfortable shot and, and it really worked. Um, other news around the league, Carmelo Anthony potentially back in the league signing with the Portland Trailblazers. It's a non-guaranteed contract, according to Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN. He reported it earlier tonight, just after the Heat game, but I thought I would mention it because so many of of our listeners have suggested that Carmelo might be the answer for Miami's offensive struggles at at some points during the course of the season. Uh, But to be honest with you, I don't agree. I don't think that Carmelo is a good fit with this team, not at this point. Uh, and, And for Portland... It's really a move of desperation. Their offense is bogged down. They've gone through some injury issues. They're relying completely on Dame Lillard and C.J. McCollum. And Hassan has been a problem, as we all know, as we could have expected. And then adding Carmelo, um, this is an opportunity for him to put up some points to showcase what he can do for the rest of the league. And he's still young enough to contribute, uh, but I'm not sure that it's a good move. But again, for a non-guaranteed contract, uh, it's not like it's a given that Carmelo is going to be able to stay with his team and make a long-term impact. But I just thought I should put that out there for all of our listeners that have asked 
that Carmelo Anthony signed with the Heat or that Miami gives some consideration there. But anyway, coming up next, how do Tyler Hero's chances look as a top rookie this year? I'll answer that and more in the next segment. You're listening to Locked on Heat. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Locked On at checkout. player stat of the game in the next segment, but some more thoughts in the game as well as some of the questions you sent in using the hashtag AskLOHeat. Julie B. Rich asks, the Cavs are obviously not the strongest opponent, but Tyler Hero is showing some real improvement compared to his first games. Do you think if he continues like this, he can compete in the Rookie of the Year race? Well, that's an interesting question, Julie, especially on a night when the other rookie, Kendrick Nunn, scored 23 points. But let's get into the first part of your statement now, whether or not he is showing some real improvement there. I'd say it's a little bit on and off, kind of similarly to what we saw from Kendrick. um, Tyler has obviously gone through some growing pains, which are to be expected for a rookie. Uh, If his shot's not falling, it's a hard time for him to make a significant impact uh, on offense. Uh, He's shown some pretty impressive defense. He's made a strong case for himself as a a solid defender. Uh, You know, obviously we can think back on to what he did against the Phoenix Suns when he asked to guard Devin Booker and played some really good defense against the, one of the top scorers in the league. So that's all very surprising. He's turned out to be a, a much better rebounder than expected despite his quote-unquote short limbs. And he's also a solid playmaker at the guard position. So he can do a lot, and he's been doing a pretty good job overall. I'd say he's had a very, very good rookie season. But I can't say that he's even the best rookie on this team, much less the best rookie in the league. I think that title will probably go to John Morant. And as I've said before... The difference is that the Grizzlies aren't competing for anything this year. They're not going to make the playoffs. They're not winning a lot of games. They're going through injury issues. They've got a a mismatched roster there that doesn't fit as well as Miami's does. And so Morant's going to be able to put up a lot of points, and that's what gets a lot of voters' attention. And, And look, that's not to knock Morant as a scorer. He's very, very good. He's made the adjustment to the pro game a lot faster than many people expected. I think a lot of... Uh, analysts thought that he would have like a year or two of adjustment, especially at his size, because he's a little underweight and whether or not he could handle the physicality, that remains a question in all reality, uh, whether or not he sustains an injury at any point during this his rookie season, but he's been very, very good as a scorer. He's aggressive in getting to the line and getting to the rim. He's been shooting well, and these are all things that really stand out as far as his candidacy for rookie of the year. Other than that, I'd say Kendrick Nunn probably gets a lot of consideration. And, and and given the fact that he scored 23 points, that he's been a more steady and showy scorer than Tyler is, I, I think he's probably still viewed as the better rookie of the two right now. Um, and, and I think that it'll continue to be the case over the course of the season. He's just a little bit more aggressive as a shooter. Tyler is more of a complementary scorer. And, uh, and I, I don't think he's going to put up the kind of numbers necessary for some legitimate candidacy in the Rookie of the Year race. But we'll see. Maybe a few games here and there where he tops 20-plus points. Maybe he eclipses Kendrick throughout the course of the season. And you never know what happens with injuries. I'm not hoping for one thing or the other. As long as they have two really solid rookies that can contribute, what matters is that Miami is going to continue to win a lot of games. And I think that's what the overall approach of this team is, and from both rookies as well. So uh, it should be an interesting race nonetheless. But continue to watch... Morant in Memphis because he's fun to watch and he's been putting up some really big numbers. Stephen Wang asks, 
is it's, it seems when Butler goes to the bench, that's when the Heat lose momentum. I think this is where Justice Winslow is missed most. What are your thoughts on when Butler goes out and can Winslow's return fix it? Well, he has a good point, um, Stephen. You're absolutely right. Uh, when when Jimmy sits down, sometimes Miami's offense can get a little bogged down, uh, especially if Tyler doesn't have his shot dialed up or if Goron, uh, as we saw against Cleveland, doesn't have his offense going. It can be problematic. And you're also relying on other bench players like Kelly Olenek and, and, and others to kind of step up there, and nobody really did. And when Justice returns, I think he can absolutely be a factor um, my concern is how Spolster is going to use him, whether or not he's going to insert him into the starting lineup again. Does he take Duncan Robinson's spot? And then Duncan Robinson plays better off ball, uh, more of a complimentary score to Goran Dragic. He's not going to need the ball in his hands. He's going to be more perimeter based and knock down those shots. But if you have Justice out there along with Goran Dragic and and uh, and Duncan Robinson and Kelly Olynyk and others, then Justice will probably have primary ball handling duties. And I wonder how that impacts Goran scoring, because Goran scoring has been such a strong factor in Miami's wins. It's 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 been clear that he's our best player off the bench, and, and I think it's necessary for him to have the ball in his hands, because when he's feeling it, he's aggressive in getting to the hoop. He makes plays for others and things of that sort. So uh, it's going to be an interesting challenge. Uh, and honestly, I'll keep saying this. I think it might be time to consider trading Justice Winslow. I, I hate to see it because I do think that he makes his team better. But at the same time, I'm just not sure where he fits. I mean, it, it, on the pa- on paper, it seems like he would be able to contribute. His defense is incredible. His playmaking is clearly a strong factor. But his abilities to score as an off-ball player are, are not clear. Uh, I'm not sure that he has that capacity yet at this point. Maybe it's something he can incorporate throughout the course of the season. But you wonder whether or not it's time to consider moving Justice, maybe along with Dion, if you're able to find a taker and acquire a more complimentary player that fits in a little bit better. I'm not sure who that player is. Uh, I'd have to check it to see what the, the salaries might be, whether or not Miami has to include a, a first round pick in order to move Justice and Dion. That would be unfortunate and not something that I think it's, this team is willing to do. So it's going to be a, a difficult challenge for Eric Spolster, one of many, as he looks to the, the future of this roster. Red Top Dread Top asks, what do you think is the cause for our late game struggles? And what led to the discrepancy from 22 assists in the first half to none in the second half? So he wrote this in the third quarter when Miami was struggling with their shot, uh, or actually in the fourth quarter when they were struggling with their, uh, their offense a little bit. And, uh, and Billy Kuhn writes a secondary question, kind of tied into this. Not impressed with this win, he writes, this team loves to pass, but when the offense starts to slow down and the turnovers start building up, somebody needs to say, F this, I'm shooting it. So to both questions, I think it, the, I think the the cause for these late game struggles is what Red Top suggested that the 22 assists in the first half and then none in the in the second half, at least when he wrote this, are a clear factor as far as what Miami's offense. It, when Miami's offense is really dialed up, is when everybody's moving the ball. If you looked at what happened during that third quarter struggle and fourth quarter struggle, they weren't moving the ball. A lot more isolation shots. Goran was trying to force a couple shots there, and they weren't falling. Um, even Jimmy Butler was a little guilty of it. Nobody was moving around, and you wonder whether or not fatigue is just a factor. They're constantly moving around on defense, especially around the perimeter, and then on offense, they're cutting. They're trying to get to the basket. They're making, you know, looking to create open passing lanes for uh, their teammates. That might just be a matter of fatigue. And you also have to give some credit to this, uh, Cleveland's defense. They're able to figure out what Miami's offense is able to do, and they tighten their defense just so so that they don't make they don't allow as easy passes to happen. And so 
to Billy's point, does somebody need to step up and say, I'm going to be the shooter? I don't think that works either. Uh, we saw that from Kendrick. We saw that in the, in, during that long drought. We saw that from Jimmy, too. Those isolation plays just don't work. I mean, it's okay if you can have somebody like Jimmy occasionally do that a little bit more aggressively, especially when he's getting to the line. But a night like tonight, when they weren't calling fouls as easily, um, I'm not sure that that's the right strategy. So to me, it's about trying to get that offense going. And in fact, if you look at the fourth quarter, when they finally started putting up some points to help extend their lead a little bit, they started moving the ball around. They found Bam at the rim. They found Jimmy at the rim, etc. All these plays started happening a lot like what we saw in the first half, where they were passing the ball, they were moving it around, and that just works best for this offense. And, and I think you need to focus on doing that for 48 minutes. I don't know if it's easy to do. I'll have to ask Eric Spolstra about that next time I talk to him. But the reality is that um, their offense does get a little bogged down, and, and it can ha- it can be a problem. So I wonder if fatigue is a factor. I wonder if it's just easier to put up ISO shots there and, and, and you know early in the shot clock. Uh, and you have to give... Cleveland's offense some credit too because they were able to take advantage and get a few more force a few more turnovers that led to easy offense for them and then Miami's defense as always leads to pretty good offense and so when they're not defending at a high rate um, their offense is going to be a little bit slower and not as as easy to put a point so uh, certainly a concern moving forward but what's not a concern for most people is mybookie.ag during Thanksgiving week, my bookie is offering a risk-free bet on the Bears-Lions game. That's in the NFL, obviously. Simply choose a team against the spread for up to $250. If you win, congratulations. You've got extra holiday spending money. If you lose, congratulations as well. My bookie will give you all your money back. It's a no-brainer because you literally cannot lose. It's no risk. It's all gravy just in time for Thanksgiving. It doesn't matter whether you're an experienced player or a first-time customer. My bookie welcomes all to come play. So quit wasting time and sign up today. Do you find yourself wanting a sports bet but have lots of questions? Don't sweat it. My bookie's patient customer service team can walk you through the process. And the best part is, if you join this Thanksgiving week, you'll still have one last shot to take advantage of their incredible sign-up offer. Just log on to mybookie.ag and make your first deposit with promo code Locked On, And MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar to jumpstart your bankroll. And that's on top of the risk-free bet. Let me repeat, that's a guaranteed deposit match and a risk-free bet for Thanksgiving only. So if you're a true football fan, you don't want to let this opportunity pass you by. You simply can't lose. Make sure you do your part to support your team this season. Hop on the gravy train and get on the action with my bookie. You play, you win, you get paid. Remember to listen to and subscribe to new and archived episodes of Locked on Heat on Himalaya, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're on iTunes, please leave a rating and review, especially if it's a good one. On to the stat and player of the game. The stat of the game is 4, specifically 4-0. and oh, Miami's record this season when they score 30 or more assists per game. And uh, again, Miami's offense has been so fantastic because of the past the passing ability, the playmaking ability from everybody on this roster. I, I feel like I keep harping on this. I keep making a point uh, to, to to all our listeners during the podcast, but it's just been such a fantastic component, something a lot of people did not expect, but it's just been incredible to see so many different players at so many different positions move the ball around and create offense for others. 
And Miami's offense clearly looks much better when they're moving the ball around. And the fact that their record is 4-0 and when they're scoring 30 or more assists is very, very impressive. So uh, it's something to watch out for over the course of the season, whether or not they can keep up that kind of production. But it's just been a fantastic part of their offense. Tonight against Cleveland, they scored 31 assists on 43 made field goals. They finished 55% overall from the field, 40% from three-point range, 12 of 30 overall. Great offense, even during that long-scoring drought. You know, it, it was just, if not for that, it would have been a perfect game for Miami. But even during that drought, most of the time, they were just turning the ball over or just rushing shots. I wonder if they could have shot almost 60% if they hadn't been for that drought, if they had been able to keep up that kind of offense consistently. So um, they're very, very good as a passing team. They're very, very high potent offense. Uh, and it's been a lot of fun to watch. So I'll continue pointing it out because to be honest with you, it's the best point of this team. They're incredible to watch all the playmaking ability from Jimmy's underrated passing to the fact that everybody on this team, the bigs, their guards, everybody's getting in on the involved in the action. I think the only player who's averaging under assist one assist per game is, is probably Myers Leonard and Duncan Robinson. Even Myers had three assists on the night. So clearly trying to do what he can to make plays for others. It's just his limited playing ability. Per 36 minutes, those numbers probably are a little bit higher for Myers Leonard. The player of the game or the goat of the game, well, Kendrick Nunn. He deserves it. Uh, you got to give him credit because he had struggled with the shot a little bit. He had been kind of trying to figure out how to be more effective and not as aggressive. But tonight against Cleveland, he really wanted to go out there and make a name for himself to score a lot and early and often. And he did. And then even in the fourth quarter, eventually he did get that shot going again. Knocked down a big three-pointer to help Miami push that lead a little bit. And that's the kind of offense that you can expect from him. I, I think we're 11 games in the season now. I think teams around the league are aware of what Kendrick Nunn can do. I'm not so sure whether or not they're keying in on him, but the reality is as long as that passing is still dialed up, it's hard to focus on anybody. You can have a big scoring night from Duncan Robinson. You can have a big scoring night from Jimmy or Goron or anybody else. And so you have to kind of be aware of everybody on this roster. And as long as they're doing that, it makes it easy for guys like Kendrick to get their shot off. But still, tonight he was very, very aggressive. He was getting to the rim. You saw him kind of size up the defense a little bit. He would catch the ball in the perimeter as they were swinging it around. And then he would assess what the defense kind of held for him. And he was able to take it against, you know, take it to the rim against guys like Jetty Osman and others and, and just figure out he has a size advantage or a quickness advantage and is able to make a, a really nifty move. There is one play in particular that the broadcast team called out where he drove past Osman got to the rim, and then Tristan Thompson was there to meet him, and then he just kind of spun around on him uh, and used his pivot foot there to get to the rim and, and laid up a really nice shot there. The floater is still not there, not the way that it was earlier in the season, but you wonder if he's going to be able to get that back at some point. And if that's the case, he's a very deadly scorer, and tonight he was Miami's best player. The scapegoat of the game, unfortunately, continues to be Kelly Olenek, uh, just struggling overall uh, in, in 20, I'm sorry, 14 minutes of play. Went one of three from the field, only had three assists, uh, three rebounds, two steals, and a block. He drew a charge, uh, so that was one thing that he did well. He also knocked down one of his three three-point attempts. But the reality is that he he just did not have it dialed up. He did the other night against Detroit, not so much against Cleveland. And st interestingly enough, still getting booed by the Cavaliers' uh, home fans there. There weren't many because the Cleveland Browns played tonight, apparently. So there weren't a lot of people in the stands. But the ones that were there still do not appreciate Kelly Olenek for having separated 
Kevin Love's shoulder many, many years ago in the playoffs, but that's a, a long time ago, and, and they still bear a grudge, not surprisingly, I guess, but, well, it's surprising to me. Uh, I guess Kelly Olenek is just never going to get appreciated around the league. He's still going to be viewed as a dirty player, but who cares about that? He just needs to be a good one, and he was not tonight against the Cavaliers. The Heat are back on the floor Saturday night against the New Orleans Pelicans. I'll be there for that game to cover it live. But check back afterwards for a recap after that game. But that's it for today. You can connect with me on Twitter using the hashtag AskLOHeat or email me at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. I'm David Vermill signing off and thanking you, as always, for your support. Yeah! Wrap it up,